everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it has been quite a while since we sat down and had one of our trans-Pacific fireside chats, but it is definitely time to wade back into a variety of things, gaming and retro gaming related. I am your host, JJJ, here as always with my co-host, Game Agent E.T., a.k.a. Eddie Tang. How are you, Eddie? Glad to be back. It's been a prolonged Hertz. It has been. We've spent some time in the Hertz locker. Um, Definitely. You know, while we were away, this podcast reached its one-year anniversary, so that's... That's terrific, and we thank everybody who listens, despite the recent uh, dearth of content on this end. Um, You know, sometimes you've got things going on in your life. Sometimes you've got things that require you to recharge the batteries, and in this case, both of those things were true. So it's good to be back. Yeah, I was in a lot of hurts myself. Yeah, uh, went through two surgeries. Uh, my thumb finally feels like I would say ninety five percent normal now, and uh, I'm still cancer free and very very happy to be just getting back into the swing of things and loving life. Just real happy to play games again, like normal games. Yeah. It's, it's great using your left thumb again. You take yeah, that for I mean, granted, but... I'm sure. Oh. I'm sure it's one of those things that, you know, the moment it's gone, you're just like, hey, wait a second. Like, <laughs> there's yeah. an enormous quality of life issue now not being able to do that thing. So, yeah, you know. this is um, this was the first time I've had an inability to use a certain limb. Like I've never broken any bones before or lost the use of my, one of my legs or one of my arms or hands. And just when this whole ordeal happened, it was a long adjustment period. And yeah, I had to scramble and find uh, things to do. Like I wanted to play video games, but for almost two months I could not, but I found ways I did. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I literally am just coming off of a week in which um, I sort of sequestered myself upstate here in Arizona, the lovely town of Pine Top, which gets a little bit of snowfall this time of year. But basically, I committed myself to like, okay, all I'm going to have is like my switch and then, you know, up there, I've got, like, the dusty old family entertainment center action going on. So if Ooh. I wasn't playing the Switch, then I was digging into the VHS stash. Wow. Um, and that's, like, a really weird and interesting exercise because I think, like, our lives right now, you know, if you're kind of an average consumer Joe, like... You probably got a couple of streaming services on the hook and, you know, you probably spend more time trying to figure out what in the hell you're going to watch as opposed to like 
watching things. And, you know, when you've just got a couple shelves worth of VHS movies, like, that's a very different decision to make. So, um, wow. I don't know. It's weird. Like, obviously, like, that was a choice in terms of, like, choosing to deprive myself and, like, you know, enjoy a much sort of more relaxed existence for, you know, four or five days. But, um, yeah, it's very interesting to go through any sort of thing where you, like, deprive yourself of the thing you normally do, and then you return to it, and you're just like, oh, I love all this (laughs) stuff. It's so great to return to normalcy somehow. Convenience really builds up as uh, time goes on for our technology, things like that. I'm just wondering, what library did you have while you were up there in Pine Top? What, well, what kind of because, videos did like, you have? Well, it's funny because like this is obviously a library that I at one time contributed to, like yay long ago when I was actually still living at home. So like there were definitely some movies in there that were things that I chose, you know, uh, stuff like the Blues Brothers or Lethal Weapon Two or nice. things of that ilk. Um, but like, I also realized that most of the things that I wore the hell out of are long gone or like those tapes probably like crumbled into dust like years ago because they've just gotten so worn out. But there was, however, an intact, uh, box set of the Star Wars trilogy. So... That was um, that was fun to dip into in terms of like the the very very old uh, theatrical versions of those movies before um, the edits. Yeah, before the special edition, before all the added CG gloss. Um, and I don't know. Like, I definitely think those movies should exist for people to be able to freely access and appreciate. And it's kind of a shame that like. George took the attitude he did towards those things, but you know, that's, that's an entire other subject matter that could take that has already taken up too many podcasts to bear. So (laughs) we'll, uh, we'll keep trucking on past that. Um, but yeah, maybe there'll be (laughs) like a Lucas retro throwback version where no, there's no more CG effects. I mean, it works for video games. Why not for Lucas? Make that yeah, I mean, last chance dollar since he's not I part would, of it anymore. Yeah, because I would think <laughs> that now that Disney owns both the Star Wars franchise and 20th Century Fox, um, for a while there was speculation because apparently like 20th Century Fox still held some sort of contractual clause as to like theatrical screenings for the original film. And so people Mm. conjectured wondering if like some sort of legal legalese nugget like that was responsible for them never publishing like, you know, the original trilogy editions. Um, But now theoretically there should be nothing holding them back unless they just see it as something that wouldn't sell, which I definitely can't see those as like standalone titles, but 
I feel like an archival box set would definitely that would definitely do it for a lot of people, especially as my gosh, within five years we're talking about the fiftieth anniversary of the original Star Wars. Yeah. So um, I think it would be smart. A lot of yeah. people want to know the roots of certain genres, certain movies, things like yeah. that. I think it would be great to have once again no edits, maybe even having, you know, some commentary. Or something like, something to that effect. Yeah. Explain how difficult it was back in the day compared to now. Yeah, so, I mean yeah, that'd we'll be... see we'll see how, how that happens because I know there's also a docuseries streaming on Disney Plus at the moment, which is that light plus magic series. Um which actually goes really hard on the story of the making of the first film and all of the, you know, little successes that led up to, you know, creating something that had never been seen before. So I got to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Um, if if you haven't already, I'm talking to the people out there because of you. I checked out Andor, the first two episodes. It's great. Yeah. Don't miss out on that. That's such an underrated series that flew under the radar. Just watch yeah. it. I mean, I mean, it's really uh, not to, you know, paraphrase Darth Vader as I often do. I mean, the whole, I find their lack of faith in the show disturbing. Like, it's really good. And the writing is like, stupidly good like out of this world good for a star wars show in particular but even like on its own merits i would argue the drama and the sense of tension created amongst this very different set of characters i would say it probably stands up pretty well to a lot of television that's happening right now and i mean normally I don't think that's something that you would say about most of the Star Wars shows that have dropped thus far. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, they're enjo- they're enjoyable to be sure, but you know, they've got there, there's some there's some uh, shortcuts taken narratively. You know, some, uh, some writing right. things are just trying to cater to fan expectations, whatever you want to say. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> felt a lot of that with Obi Wan the 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 series that they were pushing before Andor where mm-hmm. it felt like they wanted to do all these things. They felt like they wanted to appease the fans by adding this reference or right. making sure that this character is represented right and juggling between, uh, Hey, we've, we've told this story before, so we got to do something that can still kind of surprise people and that's really hard to do but with yeah. andor the slate is clean you got new characters they're not tethered to making any references whatsoever so they do what they yeah. want and it's been working i like well, i said i'm only two episodes in but so enjoyable yeah i mean if you go back and you look at what george is trying to do with the prequels there's this whole undercurrent of like political intrigue that surrounds the Galactic Senate and what Palpatine was trying to set up and, you know, what his motives were and what was driving people, this, that, and the other. And like, 
it's really, really, really flat. And I think it's a thing that most people don't really recall with any sort of, ooh, that was so interesting. I mean, I love George. I love that the Star Wars universe exists and it wouldn't without his birthing it into being. But it's fantastic with this Andor show to see somebody that's clearly like written a whole lot of scripts. I mean, if you look at Tony Gilroy's body of work, like he's worked on a lot of things for a lot of different people. And I think his whole take on this was just like, well, what if these are real people that have to cope with this gargantuan fascist presence across the galaxy? And so it, you know, <laughs> wow. the danger is really, really palpable. Um, it's very relatable to this moment in world history. And, um, I just, man, I just watched the last episode last night and it's just, it's just a barn burner. So, you know, watch yeah, Andor. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm catching up, but yeah. it's not, it, it, you know, it, it sounds like a, a sequel could be brewing where, you know, we all wanted to know what happened to those people that were at the Death Star working like normal Joes before they blew up. We want to know that too. <laughs> right. Why don't they make a series for that? I well, think that I mean, was the first kind of, joke. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, because he was talking about the contractors that were just working on the poor Death Star when the left-wing yeah. militants came and blew it up. Um, yeah. They're people too. And, well, <laughs> and I think that's... <laughs> As you'll find, as you watch more of the episodes of this show, like, uh, you know, one of the things with Star Wars is that we've primarily just seen, like, the military aspects of the Empire. Like, TIE Fighters, Imperial Walkers, you know, the Imperial Navy doing combat with the Rebellion. And it's been a very limited slice of you know, what that total experience would mean. And so one of the great things about this show is just showing how everybody that is in the employ of the empire, like they're really a bunch of sinister bureaucratic fucks. And like, yeah, when you, when you glom onto the journey of one of them in particular, um, Deidre Miro, um, you know, she's on the ISB, um, and, she, you know, she's bent on making a name for herself. And the terrifying thing is that she actually really believes in what she's doing. And so that makes it so much more interesting than just Vader choking another lackey on the deck of a Star Destroyer. You know what I mean? Because you've got like people that are intelligent that are otherwise like seemingly rational human beings who have wound up in the service of this thing. And, you know, they have to go to bed at night. They have to think about the things they've done and they have to wake up ready to move on with those things that they've been assigned to them. And so to me, like that's so much more interesting than just the very, you know, cartoonish good guys 
bad guys. Like, you know, if you if you went and watched The Force Awakens and you found it just kind of this hollow, you know, reworking of A New Hope, which some did. I enjoyed it more than that, but I also sort of understood what it was at its heart. Um, this show is just fascinating as hell. Like, it's really, yeah. really interesting to see that kind of depth applied at a place where, honestly, we haven't seen it before. So Yeah, and one last thing I wanted to add, just mm-hmm. in terms of great stories, I, yeah. I like how they really develop backstories. Mm-hmm. And I think for any person, I mean, this goes with real life. Yeah. We're all shaped by our backgrounds where we mm-hmm. started. Totally. So how we grew up, that's going to change a lot of our ideals. That's going to make us who we are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't develop that in a story, it's going to feel kind of empty and hollow, like you said. Right. So I think it's good that Andor really focuses on that, not just for a few characters, but for most of the cast. And I'm excited to keep going with this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm so- sorry we went on a tangent there. I know we're a video game podcast, but... Yeah. It's things Star we're spending Wars. time with in front of the screen. Yep. Um, Definitely. So, yeah, uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about Bayonetta. And Ooh. obviously... Ooh. As of late, like, it's resulted in, you know, the release of the third game, which happened back on October 28th. um, Highly anticipated. Eight-year wait. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very anticipated title. Um, There were, of course, some bizarre internet slash social media shenanigans that ensued by virtue of a few things that happened. Yeah. but we can just sort of talk about like, you know, the series origin and uh, what it's sort of meant as like, you know, kind of a a flagship franchise among like character action games, which like to me that's still a really weird phrase to use as a genre thing. But I guess like people have adopted that to describe like everything from Devil May Cry forward. Um, could you could you say that name again of the genre? Character action. <laughs> what kind of name is that? Who I made that? They're I fired. You're I fired. Don't know. I mean, it's it's you know character action. That's I mean, so I bland. Just, I mean, I sort of get where it comes from at its heart because essentially you're you're talking about like. The games that evolved from, you know, Castlevania, Mega Man, all of those games. I mean, fundamentally, it was an action game with a very specific character at its heart. So Mm. it sort of works, and I sort of get why that's applied to Bayonetta. But at any rate, um, so yeah, Bayonetta has been around now for 13 years. The first game dropped right at the end of 2009, early 2010, um, for Xbox 360 and PS3. Um, if you knew back in the day, like, 
the PS3 version was actually pretty tragic. Like it was not well ported and, you know, obviously it's a whole nother sidebar with like how difficult it was to develop things for the PS3. But yeah, the Xbox 360 version really, really shined. Um, the game wound up ported multiple times. Um, you know, there was a reworking of the original Bayonetta that came with Bayonetta 2 when that dropped on the Wii U in 2014. There's also been, you know, higher spec versions of Bayonetta that have appeared on the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and on Steam. Um, so this is a game that definitely has, like, a solid presence with players. And I think, you know, it's one of those interesting games that has like, it's got younger fans that have found it, you know, in their own youths and have been drawn to the character. And they're like, Oh, this is really cool. And, you know, the action's very stylized and stylish. Um, but yeah, it's, it poses a number of interesting questions going forward, especially now with this third entry. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get the crappiest story out of the way first. So mm. if you were on social media about a week or two before the game launched, before Bayonetta three came out on October 28th, there was a kerfuffle involving the original voice actress who basically hopped on Twitter and claimed that she was paid. She was offered a shockingly low amount of money to do the voice work for the game. And of course this struck many as kind of your like classic, Oh, this is unfair. This is a voice actor being exploited. Whose work has graced a title that is, you know, literally sold millions of copies between the various versions of Bayonetta 1 and 2. And of course, uh, upon further review (laughs) and looking at a variety of things that were provided from Platinum and from the actress who actually took over the role for Bayonetta 3, it turns out that many of the assertions that were made by the original voice actress were untrue or discredited. Um, and I think this is just one of those, like, if you ever want to do yourself a favor, you're hanging out on social media and you come across something that just sparks the old outrage meter. Like, just give it a deep breath. <laughs> give it a deep breath. Maybe check some other sources, you know, or even figure out something else to do until you know, the story airs out for a while and people have time to poke at it because this is one of those things where there was an immediate call for a boycott of the third game. Um, people were giving Hideki Kamiya and the other people at Platinum. Jennifer you know, Hale also got a uh, hate mail too. She did. She is, yes. yeah, she's the... She's the actress who actually did the performance in Bayonetta 3 that is on the game that, you know, the final version of it that shipped out. So, yeah, once again, reminder, don't be a monster. Be a human. Be a human. Please. 
Yeah. Please do. Just take a deep breath and go, <laughs> wow, that sucks. I wonder if that's true or not. Yes. Just go ask yourself touch that grass. question. <laughs> touch grass, please. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others. Touch the grass, please. Uh, you know, it just, and here's the thing. Like, I tried to put myself in that original voice actor's shoes. And I can imagine that with the hype machine beginning to kick off for Bayonetta 3 in earnest, you know, she probably saw all this coverage of this thing that she was once a very integral part of and just got a really terrible case of FOMO, you know? Felt like she was missing out, you know, whatever the paycheck situation might have been. I mean, it's still not a good excuse to you know, fundamentally start a boycott campaign based on a lie. But Mm -hmm. I think if we peel it back just a little bit, like, you know, it's, it's honestly really pretty sad at its core that this person felt really left out. But at the same time, like, you know, they weren't going to not go ahead and produce the third game or publish it. Like, that train had to keep rolling. And the fact was, you know, they made her a better offer than she intimated at. Oh yeah. But of course it wasn't, it wasn't up to the thing that she was hoping for, which, you know, I think she just got to a place where she felt that she deserved a much bigger piece of a thing that she was a successful part of. And You know, unfortunately, the reality here is that with voice acting work, you know, there's a variety of things that we love in the creative industries that unfortunately, you know, represent absolute, like, really difficult working conditions. I mean, you know, the grind hours that many developers put in towards the waning moments of development on our favorite games can be absolutely brutal. I mean, we have friends yeah. that can attest to this firsthand. Yeah, you crunch know, time they, is no joking matter. Yeah, I mean, they, they get to a point where, you know, they're more likely to just sleep at the office and yeah. wake up and continue working rather than, you know, pull themselves out of the zone entirely. So, you know, both film and uh, the world of gaming, you know, sort of share this in that, you know, there's been a commodification of certain kinds of labor. And, you know, a lot of times that may not be the fairest situation in the world. Um, it really isn't. I mean, yeah. you think about what happened with Futurama when that resurfaced as they try to make a new, uh, I guess, a new series. Not a new series, but more episodes. Additional, additional then, episodes, yeah. Yeah, and then I believe, I don't know his name but mm-hmm. the person that voices Bender yeah. kind of held out because he felt like uh, financially he wasn't getting the the respect that right. he felt he, he, he deserved. And that's right. why those neg- negotiations went public and then people definitely did voice their opinion saying like, uh, yeah, he's a huge part of the show. If you don't have him, then... We're probably not going to watch it. And then they caved and, you know, gave him the money that he wanted. And 
everything was okay. I think Bayonetta, though, was a little bit of a different deal because although Bayonetta was very popular, she's more of like kind of like a cult following. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would understand if it was someone like Charles Martinet who voices Mario. Maybe he would have a little bit more just wait to throw around because of what he's accomplished. But well, that also, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because that also represents another sort of kerfuffle involving voice acting. Cause there are a lot of people who, you know, upon hearing about the casting for the super Mario brothers animated film, oh, they were just oh like, goodness. Well, why the, why the hell isn't Charles Martinet voting, you know, exactly. Mario, um, which, yeah. Again, it's one of those things where, like, you're dealing with these sort of competing priorities in which the studio behind the Super Mario Brothers movie clearly thinks that, like, they need that marquee name in front of the project to help draw people to the box office. I don't know whether or not that's actually true in this specific instance, but, you know... Chris Pratt also did really fantastic work in the Lego movie and that movie made a ton of money. So I'm sure that wasn't too far from their minds when pondering this, but you know, again, like it's one of those things where just, there's a, there's a lot of unfairness essentially baked in and it's very rare that, you know, voice talent or even acting talent is able to rest a bigger share because usually the way things are set up, it breaks very hard against it. So Mm. that's, uh, that's capitalism, baby. Yeah, (laughs) it is unfortunate, but at least he does have cameos in the movie from what I heard. So he's not completely pushed out of, the movie altogether. Charles Martinet is still in there, but we don't know what, who he voiced yet. We'll yeah. find out, I guess next, next year when yeah. we watch it like a double header with Borderlands, the movie with uh, our good old friend Optimus from Retro Futures Culture. <laughs> Great. He loves that. He's going to watch that movie. Double header, baby. We're going to get drunk. Oh, I never get drunk brilliant. by the way, but we're going to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna watch bearing, both movies. <laughs> bearing us in insider jokes once again, sir. <laughs> yes. Sorry. This is uh from the Adult Gamer. If you haven't heard of that podcast, please listen to that podcast. It's a great podcast with Fenir and Optimus. They do a great yeah. job. And For- Optimus <laughs> The inside joke is he doesn't want to watch the movie, Borderlands the movie, yet his co-host, Ben, uh, always teases him about, hey, let's go watch it. (laughs) So there you go. One of those things. Watch Borderlands the movie, watch the new Mario movie, listen to the Adult Gamer uh, podcast. (laughs) We made my advertisements. We made exactly $0 from that, that spot. Oh, God, it hurts. 
Anyway, we're going to take a moment now to have a little break so you can hear from some of our friends here on the Ruminations Radio Network. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. We're back! Yay! It's good to be back. So... Continuing on the subject of Bayonetta, um, there's been a lot of reviews. I have not cracked open my copy yet because my awesome girlfriend just gave me a copy of the game for my birthday. Sweet. I haven't opened it yet. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you, good sir. It's our buddy Six Button Samurai's birthday, or it was a couple days ago, but yes. It was. I hope Um, you had a good time. I did. Um, nice. I'm going to have a good time as I crack open my copy of Bayonetta 3. Looking at the reviews so far, um, it's an interesting situation because I think what we've got here is just one of those classic moments that sort of happens at the end of any given hardware generation where you have games that wind up being just a little bit too much for the hardware they're on. And if I've seen something that's been sort of a consistent thread among the Bayonetta reviews thus far, it's that, you know, the Switch hardware is definitely showing its age with this game in particular. Um, And when you think about Platinum... You know, a lot of these guys being ex-Sega, ex-Treasure, like, these are people that are really used to getting the absolute limit out of whatever hardware they're developing a game for. And so it's interesting that we arrive at this point with Bayonetta 3, where it seems like there's a lot of very grand ideas for, like, multiple characters and these really sprawling sorts of boss battles and battles with much larger enemies. And, you know, it just seems like the hardware is absolutely pushed to its very limit. And it often doesn't meet that 60 frame per second threshold that like these games generally succeed at. So, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Platinum after this game because, you know, we're still in this very strange time where you've got a lot of really big companies looking at you, Microsoft and Sony, that are looking to acquire talented developers. Um, You know, Nintendo famously saved Bayonetta 2 from being canceled you know, they stepped in after Sega had pulled their support for the title. But now we're in this very strange place where essentially you have Platinum tied to an aging piece of hardware. And I think given the kind of talent that resides there, like they're going to want to do something else before long 
and they're probably going to want to do it on much more powerful hardware. So, well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, they're already doing other series like Near is mm-hmm. on other platforms. Uh, Bayonetta right. was just an exclusive for two and three because of the fact that Nintendo bankrolled it. Right. So Hideki Kamiya has said publicly that he's very, very thankful for Nintendo for stepping in. And he's right. always mentioned that, hey, if Nintendo's okay with Bayonetta 2 and 3 appearing on other platforms, yeah, we'll do it. But in the meantime, Bayonetta 2, Bayonetta 3, Switch exclusives. Yeah, I get what you mean when it comes mm-hmm. to their ambitions are not being met because of the hardware they're kind of shackled with. So you got to either make concessions and say, oh, sorry, we can't have this and we can't have that. And I'm sure they already made some of those concessions already, yet they still uh, had some little hiccups here and there with the performances. But uh, I guess... The only thing we can hope for now is uh, maybe if they want to do a four, I don't know if the series ends at three, but if they're going to make a four, I think they're praying like with the rest of us that Nintendo brings out a successor in the next two or three years. Right. Or at least an upgrade. But I think it's high tide that we get a successor of some sort to the Switch and hopefully... It's not going to be like a Wii U. It's going to be like a Switch that, as I've mentioned many times before in previous podcasts, they got to do something to keep this momentum going, but don't stray from what works. Don't go back to making a a separate console for home, you know, home play and another console for portable play. Keep it all like the Switch. That was its biggest strength keep doing that please don't (laughs) screw it up nintendo don't make me cry don't make me cry i mean it's also interesting because now like you definitely have competitors in that space i mean there's a lot of people that went out and plunked out plunked down for a steam deck they did um in this past year and you know i have a feeling there's just going to be more and more sorts of, you know, either PC-based or, like, Android-based clones. Or even cloud-based. I think Logitech Uh, made a (laughs) cloud-based. I know you. Stop it. (laughs) It counts. It It counts. (laughs) Doesn't count. Half cloud gaming. (laughs) That's what I think, too. Uh, F them clouds. F them clouds. <laughs> I'm from anyway. Arizona. We don't have clouds. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is as good a time as any. Um, we haven't done one of these in quite a while, but for a while there, we'd either put people in the oh god tier, which means you know. They're legendary figures who are responsible for contributing majorly to gaming in one way or another. Um, or the Hertz Locker, which is, you know, <laughs> for terrible people. Um, thankfully, we don't have anything to add to the Hertz Locker today. But um, 
we learned of somebody who passed on that is absolutely worthy of the Ogat tier. And that would be Ryako Kodama of Sega, who she actually passed away back in May, but it was sort of her wishes to keep her illness and subsequent passing really private. Um, So that was only kind of casually revealed in the last week or so. Um, If you're not familiar with her work, she joined Sega in 1984. She did a boatload of different manual artworks and things of that nature. And then her first really big, like, in-game creative assignment was doing lots of the character artwork and other things for the original Fantasy Star. So, yep. um, you know, and, she wound up uh, contributing to that, Fantasy Star 2, Fantasy Star 4, Skies of Arcadia. I mean, her name, her, you know, her list of credits absolutely tugs at the heartstrings of anybody that ever loved Sega. So, yeah. Um, <sighs> gotta, I didn't... Gotta give it I, up for that. Yeah. I... I feel bad because uh, I grew up playing a lot of Nintendo games on Nintendo systems. And Sega, although I loved uh, playing uh, their games in the arcade, I didn't have a Master System and I didn't have a Genesis until later in life. So I wasn't really uh, knowledgeable about what Rieko Kodama had done until much, Mm -hmm. much later. And... I really do appreciate her because of the fact that a lot of these games, the some of them were very trailblazing, like the fact that, well, just her herself, she was one of the biggest female producers in video mm-hmm. games, and she was one of the first. She was a right. pioneer. She also, uh, is it, I believe, uh, Alice from Fantasy Star? Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, that, that was the first female lead in a RPG, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I think so. I mean, yeah. The, and, it's funny because when we talk about like the original, like the first few Dragon Quest games, you know, they weren't, you almost had character archetypes that were more like placeholders rather than like really developed characters. And, you know, that definitely changed by the time the third one came around, but yeah, no fantasy star really begins in a very unique way. And, you know, it's sort of a revenge quest because Alice is out to avenge her brother who is slain at the hands of Lassic. Um, and so no, uh, I literally just finished fantasy star four, um, earlier Mm -hmm. last year. And it's a fantastic game. And really, like, you know, it really depends on your appetite for grindiness. I mean, I would definitely recommend the Sega Ages version of Fantasy Star, the original, if you just want to experience that and the music and the atmosphere. Like, it's definitely worth it. And that's what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With the fixes to the leveling up and everything, like it becomes a much more um, worthwhile experience in 2022 than it once was because it once, you know, all the Fantasy Star games, particularly the first two, were very, very grindy. 
Um, Fantasy yeah. Star 2 was actually the first one that I spent serious time with. And uh, we won't go into that because that's another sort of horror story of mine where I just wound up like woefully underleveled by the time I got to the end of it. So I did not finish that at the time. But And then isn't that another another time you were playing it and the, there was a power outage and you lost your save on Fantasy Star 2? Yes. Was that the I game? Watch, I had to watch Nay die twice. Ah, because, <laughs> because she died and then I had big old lightning strike and that you know knocked out the power to my house and I lost my save and I had to go back and do it all over again so man that's like um, breaking up with their significant other and then getting back together and then you break up again the next week it's just tough just one of those things the emotional ah. roller coaster but right. yeah, uh, speaking of which, I mean, you talk about the Sega Ages series on the Switch where Fantasy Star reside, resides, and uh, I'm still playing through that. Uh, I, I'm going to try to finish it soon because of just to my personal uh, tribute to Rieko Kodama. I want to play this game in full and see what yeah. that whole game was about. Um, but yep. Sega Ages for Switch and 3DS, that whole series was spearheaded by Rieko Kodama as well. She was yep. the one that uh, helped bring those titles out. And it, I I don't know if you can get them on 3DS anymore because of the fact that the eShop closed down. You can't really buy anything anymore. But if yeah, you can still snag to... those... You're gonna have to pony up pretty big for a physical yeah. copy of that now. But if you I have a chance, the, to... yeah, yeah. The the trio of Sega Ages titles for 3DS now goes for around 300 bucks. So. Yeah, it's not Oof. any different in Japan either. So yeah. uh, I'm well, sorry to tell you even, that. But... We didn't even get the other two volumes here in the U.S. We just got yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. I was, was able to buy us. all three. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, but at least the Switch Sega Ages games, they're still available. I highly recommend them. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a sidebar thing, but I was playing Space Harrier on Sega Ages for Switch. Mm-hmm. And that has a Joy Con mode where you can just use uh, one Joy Con and use it like a kind of like a flight stick. Right, as part of your rehab. That was the only game I could really play when I had the two thumb surgeries. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I really can't think of anything else I could play that's fun and I can do it with only my right hand. And that game is so beautiful. I mean, you, Suzuki, thank you. He's already in our god tier. Um, But (laughs) that game is amazing, especially if you play with the single Joy-Con mode. It works really well. It, I prefer it over the just the basic controls. Uh, mm-hmm. I even uh, showed on Instagram, I have a video of it, how to maximize using the Joy-Con so that it reacts well. Don't use nice. it like where you hold it in the air and steer it. No, that it doesn't work very well if you do it that way. You got to rest your hand on a table or something like a, I use my switch carrying case and then you Mm -hmm. just tilt your wrist slightly and it works super well. Nice. Give it a try. 
Rieko Kodama, thank you for those games. I swear I'll, yeah. I'll keep trying more. Uh, I want to learn more, a lot more about you, but you've done so much for us. You've done so much for Sega. You've done so much for video gaming. Here's to you. Yeah. I miss you. Yeah. The only way we knew was because of the recent release of the Mega Drive 2 Mini, where mm-hmm. they had a tribute to her. Right. I think in the like, credits. Uh, why is there a tribute to this? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's how we yeah. found out late mm-hmm. in October. So that's yep. the story of how we found out. But yep. yes. That's... So yeah, Sega Ages series on Switch, very worth your time across a variety of titles. Um, and speaking of Switch titles, mm-hmm. we got our first, uh, oh God, it's good. Recommend. Oh God, it's good. Happening right now. Oh God, it's good. Oh God, it's good. Um, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Our first Oh God, It's Good recommend, in which both myself and Eddie recommend a game, is this very small but very artfully crafted. um, It's a block breaker game in the vein of Arkanoid or Breakout, but it has a very specific sort of fantasy coat of paint in which... The wand that knocks the ball around is actually a wizard's wand. And there's this whole sort of quasi RPG thing kind of going to it where like different sets of levels are worlds under themselves. Um, There's little bad guys to have fights with. There's boss fights. Um, You get spells that wind up being incredibly useful as the game, as the levels get progressively more difficult. Like, there's some real pain in the ass. Like, I'm just trying to get the ball to bounce at this precise angle to kill this last brick, and it's beginning to anger me moment. (laughs) Totally worthwhile, really fun game, Uh, Wizorb. Do you know the studio, Ed? No, I don't have it offhand. I'm sorry, but... um, Oh, actually, it's Tribute. Tribute Tribute. is the... Tribute Games is the same group of people that made uh, Scott Pilgrim the beat nice. up and also nice. TMNT Shredder's Revenge. They were yeah. in charge of that. Nice. So, yeah, the reason why I love this game is because of the fact that that magic meter, you have a magic meter that you can refill during your gameplay, and mm-hmm. the magic meter, depending on where the ball is and uh, how you're hitting it, things like that, like, um, right. if you have enough magic, you can have the ball do things like go through extra bricks, like uh, mm-hmm. kind of like an Arkanoid when you have that power up that you can just go through any brick, even if it has like a multi-hit property. You could just right. go through it like 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 butter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, other things like shooting fire from your wand. Um, but when you run out of magic... You can't do anything. So it's a nice little gameplay uh, feature that it, it's really fun. It's it's yeah. a breakout clone, but it's well-crafted. Um, it was actually a game that came out on Steam in 2011, I think. Quite a while back, if I remember yeah. correctly. But definitely, if you have Steam, try it out if you don't have a Switch. 
it's an oldie but goodie, uh, but it's a well welcomed addition to yeah. the Switch library. Man, and it's not expensive. It only, no, it's like five bucks. Yeah, and like it's that perfect sort of like bite-sized gaming experience to you know play while on the go you know yeah. actually spent a fair amount of time playing wizard while i was uh, up in the mountains and uh it was good i think was, i'm on the third world right now how about you i am also on the third world right now and mm. i think it's either three eight or three nine that's presently pissing me off but yeah i haven't way. gotten that far like i got into like <laughs> like uh i got into like the begin I just got to world three before yeah. I stopped. But oh yeah, the other thing that's cool about that game is that there's like a town that mm-hmm. there are all the villagers that the, the 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 whole town got destroyed. And with the money that you earn from while you're playing, mm-hmm. you can go back to this town and rebuild the town. And then when you rebuild the town the villagers, if you help them fix their house, they'll either give you a power up or they'll have a shop for you to to buy stuff in, things like yeah. that. It's really nice, really good. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent little game, and I also think you know it would be great to see more hybrid takes on all kinds of games that have come and gone. Um, you know, uh, consider this a small plea for maybe just one less Metroidvania, you know? Yeah. I love, I love those games. You know, I, I absolutely adore Symphony of the Night and Super Metroid and, you know, dozens of alike titles that have dropped in the years since. But, you know, I would love to see more small developers think about, like, oddball genres like block breakers or pinball games or anything of that ilk and just or come twin up stick games different. twin yeah. stick games yeah i know there's a few i need to play uh i think uh optimus was recommending one that I've, uh, the name escapes me but there oh, was one who that, was is it that stormfront thing that's probably it yeah yeah i still need to get no, that he, game he gifted that to me as well, and I sadly have not had a lot of time to spend with it yet. Number one, because I haven't been home, but uh, now mm. I'm free to actually check it out. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's, let me know. Uh, yeah. Um, so at any rate, um, in keeping with all of our brethren here at the Ruminations Radio Network. This show is actually evolving to embrace the one-hour format. So you might be looking at your running time right now and going, what, is the show, like, about to end? And it is. It's actually ending really, really soon. Um, But it is our hopes that in sort of changing up the format and being a little more sort of free-flowing and conversational, you know, we can more accurately capture what's in our heads and hearts as opposed to, you know, chasing down a format through the woods. So we'd love to know what you think of it. Um, you can find Eddie on Twitter at game agent ET Twitter and Instagram. Where can we find you, James? You can also find me at six B samurai on Twitter or at super barrio cart 
with a K on Instagram. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter as a podcast on Oh God It HZ. Yep. And definitely check out ruminationsradionetwork.com. A lot of great shows. I think you'll enjoy the variety of hosts. And mm-hmm. if if you can, I mean, uh, things yeah. don't come free. You know, I mean, it's hard to keep up a network. Uh, our, our good buddy Mitch, uh, he does his hardest to keep this boat afloat. But yep. uh, they do have a Patreon. If you can... Mm-hmm. If you want to subscribe, help out a little financially, it would go a long way for all of us. I mean, we do this as a passion project, but for Mitch, I mean, financially, I I can imagine it it does take a little bit of money. So if you could help out, much appreciated. That link is in the RuminationsRadioNetwork.com website. Yep. So that's all we've got this week. Signing off for myself and Game Agent ET. Thank you so much for listening, and we will check you on the flip side on the next episode of Oh God It Hurts. Thank you for one year. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.